Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Under Pressure podcast. We're covering everything in sport from Formula One to Sonny Bill Williams to the Festival of Football where we're going to see 33 games in 20 days. No one is safe from us tonight, including the greatest coach in the game at the moment. They're all to be discussed tonight on Under Pressure. Joining me as he does every week is Jake Barker. Welcome back. Thanks, Matt. How, how are we going today? Yeah, really good. Really excited for the next couple of weeks in sport. It's sport everywhere you look at the moment. And it's actually causing us problems as we don't know when we're going to record next week's podcast. Because the time that we normally do, there's a game of footy both our teams are playing and we want to watch the footy. Yeah, I know. It's a bit, it's a bit funny, this... Uh... 33 games in 20 days. It's going gonna, it's gonna to make it a bit difficult, but we'll find a way to record and we'll get the, the podcast out each and every week for the next couple of weeks. Quick question without notice, just while we're talking about the uh, this period. Is this something you potentially want to see adapted into future seasons? Oh, obviously, obviously, you just throw me under the bus there, but I think personally, I, I, like, I like the old... I'm a traditionalist, as everyone knows. I, I do like the old the weekend weekend footy, Friday night footy, Saturday and Sunday. I, I prefer that. But it will be good to see how this uh, this frenzy goes in 20 days. So you never know. My, my opinion might change after the end of it. Yes, so as, what, are your, what are your thoughts? As, yeah, I, I'm interested to see what happens. I'm not, I, I'm, I like the weekend element, but I think it could be merit to the... Uh, the Big Bash AFL, as some people are calling it at the moment. But before we look into AFL, we're going to start off with NRL and Sonny Bill Williams. He's back. He is back. A big news coming out of the NRL uh, this week and the last past couple of weeks. It's been in the works that, as Matt said, Sonny Bill Williams is going to return to the NRL. He's a... He, Six four center used to play for the Roosters years and years ago, and even had a, had a, had a bit of a stint at the Bulldogs there for a while as well. But he joins a very good Roosters team, who's uh, who they're currently sitting in fourth position. Um, so obviously he's played a bit of rugby league in the past, also played um, rugby union as well, and of course he's represented New Zealand in both codes of rugby league and rugby union. So he's a very very good player in that respect. And a lot of teams would have been wanting to get him after, after hearing that he was going to come down. Uh, but this actually comes as a bit of a controversial decision as Peter Volandi has had to bend the, bend the rules a little bit. He didn't, I don't know if he wanted to do it, but I think it's good that he has done it. So Sonny Bill Williams is coming from a Canadian team, a Canadian rugby league team called the Toronto Wolfpack. And that, that contract that he has is worth $10 million. So that that contract is huge. Sorry, is, is that ten, is that ten million a year or ten million over a couple of years? I believe it's I believe it's ten million over a certain period of time, but I don't. It's still an extensive contract either way. <laughs> yeah. So I'll take a ten million con a ten million dollar contract for anything at the moment. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure anyone would. Yeah, so I'm very surprised that they've they've let him come down, but it's 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 good to see a bit of a different bit of a different look but hey it'll be it'll be good to see SBW as he's called back back in the rugby league uh, he will have to 
complete a bit of a quarantine period, obviously, as everyone does these days. So when he gets when he gets to Australia, I don't know if he's here at the moment. He may be, but um, yeah. So he'll be available for the final four rounds of the season, plus finals. So that is huge for the Roosters. Yeah. So that that gives him time to uh, get used to what the Roosters are doing this year, and then he'll be he'll slot in there nicely. I'm sure as a starter for for them and. Um, they'll make a good push for a back-to-back-to-back if they don't mind. So that's that's going to be very good for them and hopefully the Storm can get around it for our sake. But you never know. Yeah, it's it's definitely going to add an extra element to it. And I think I'm just going to sidetrack off this. I think what Peter Volandi has done in 2020 is incredible. I think, hey, he may have bent the rules but for the good of the game, he's made a great decision. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, th- I, th- I, th- I think that he deserves more credit. And Volandi's style's been a bit out there, but I like it. Now, we know you're a huge fan of the netball. There's a bit more news there with the fixture now coming along. What's that? Yeah, so during the... I reckon at the end of last week they, they released a fixture, so the first six rounds. But unfortunately, only probably a couple of hours before we started recording this podcast, they've actually had to readjust the fixture as Queensland are going to have a bit of a restriction or a no crossing the borders anymore. So they've had to move everyone to Queensland to get round one going. So they've have to readjust. They've had to readjust everything. So the first round is actually going to be all at the at the Nissan Arena in Queensland, and there's going to be two games on Saturday and two games on the Sunday. Uh, there's a couple couple of extra things going into the start of netball, which is this Saturday and Sunday, which is very exciting. Uh, there's going to be no more bonus, not ever. There's going to be bonus points, no more bonus points this season. So they've just cancelled the bonus point. So for those of you who don't know, the bonus point is for each quarter. So you can get points regardless of if you if you lose the game. So you could win three points out of the game, but if you lost, you still take those points out of the game. But then the other team gets the four points for the win and the one point for their quarter win as well. So you can still gain points out of that. But this year they're scrapping scrapping that to make it a little bit easier and it's just a win-loss. Uh, they're also uh, taking out this season, just for this season again, the extra time rule. So I believe there's not going to be extra time. I think they're going to introduce that for the first time this season, but they're going with scrapping it and going to start it again next season one last thing as as we're in a bit of a pandemic as we all know the the teams are going to get more players on their squads because i imagine there's going to be more games in less days so they usually have 10 players on their squads now each team is going to get an additional two so they'll be like training partners so teams that are a bit below the suncorp super netball they'll be able to come up and um, work with the team and they'll be able to sit there on game day as, as some more options for each team. And that's, that's pretty much, that's pretty much all for uh, netball. 
and it's very exciting that it's starting this weekend. I look forward to watching that with a bit of with a bit of footy on the side as well. So looking forward to that. Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people are excited about the Super Net- Netball League returning this weekend. But we move to the AFL world, where we got a bit of a late change in uh, the Essen- uh, the Collingwood uh, West Coast game with the Collingwood captain uh, signed just before the game that he wouldn't take part due to an injury niggle. It's now been confirmed that he'll miss four weeks. Yeah, I was very surprised because obviously... Uh, I heard that McGovern was out, and that was that was as a normal late change. And then I reckon it would have been about two minutes before the siren had gone. Penelope had told someone, and he was out. And it was very strange. They, I saw the guy warming up in the in the change rooms while the site while this game was about to start. And yeah, you wouldn't have thought he was going to miss four weeks after saying just before the siren that he's not playing. So a bit of a strange one there. Um, on that, do you think that adds concern to Collingwood for this season? They've obviously got injuries. They've got lost Jeremy Howe. Uh, Dugowie won't return in the home and away season. Are these injuries starting to mount up on this club? The injuries aren't mounting, I don't think, but they're, they're mounting to very important players. Jeremy Howe in the back line, Jordan Dugowie in the forward line, and their leader, Scott Pendlebury. They are three of their biggest players, I believe. I, 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 would said, I would have said if, if if those three players were all injured simultaneously, which they are, that there's huge problems for Collingwood. Huge. Yeah, no, definitely. And I, I, I think you're completely right. I think we'll see a little bit of... Um... <coughs> this, is a, this, is a winnable, this is a winnable game this weekend for Fremantle now. Well, 100%. When you also... When you also add in their vice captain, uh, still side bottom, he's currently out suspended for breaching the uh, the uh, COVID protocols. It's a lot for this club to take into at the minute. And my question is, now now that we know Pendlebury will be out for four weeks, is still side bottom's position as vice captain under even more pressure now? Well, it's funny you should mention that because his, his, his four weeks actually ended last weekend. So it'll be interesting to should see. He, if... should, should, should he return and come out as the standing captain of the Collingwood Football Club? Well, that, that was exactly going to be my question to you. He's going to have to step in straight away. So whether, whether they do it and say, all right, you've done us wrong, now lead from the front and lead our, lead our club through this difficult, little difficult period. So they might give him that challenge. It might be a little bit of a controversial challenge, but it could be good for them to move forward. Doesn't sit well with me, him returning as, as acting captain. It, and I was one of the people that I thought he should step aside from the vice captaincy. I thought the actions he made were on par with Lockie Hunter, and Lockie Hunter lost the vice captaincy, and I think Steel Sidebottom should have, should have as well. I know that's a very harsh claim, and you might say, Yes, but side bottom only did this. But the climate of the world at that point was different to what Hunter did. If Hunter did that when side bottom did, Hunter would have got potentially even six to eight weeks. The climate had changed, and that was why I think Collingwood needed to remove him as vice captain. And I think now 
puts a lot of pressure under um, the ultimately on the president, um, Eddie McGuire. Well, yeah, they've got a tough choice to make this week. They either pick someone who's in their leadership group or they go with Steele, who will be back this week, I assume, if they pick him. Who would um, be, who, who else is in their leadership? Would, I'm thinking, would that be Trelaw? Yeah, Just Trelaw, going off the top of my head? Yeah, Trelaw springs to mind as someone who could probably, could lead this, could lead the team if they don't want to go that would, with Steele. That would sit a lot better with me personally, but well, I'm just uh, someone that loves footy and loves talking about it on a, on this brilliant podcast. But it's going to be an interesting decision that they make. Um, I hear you really wanted to speak about um, one of the most successful people in the AFL, Alistair Clarkson. Yeah, so I thought this could be a very, very big discussion point. And I, I know a few people started started uh, talking about it in the AFL at the moment on a few on a couple of those shows that are on uh, KO and Fox Footy and all that. So uh, I just think Clarko is trying to deflect things at the moment. Personally, I think he's trying to push push away the troubles that Hawthorne are having within this current season and deflecting them away from him. So he's obviously a very, he's a veteran coach. He knows he knows exactly what to do. knows knows how things work. So he's using things like, like last weekend he made comments that Tom Papley plays for free kicks, and a couple of weeks a couple of weeks before that, which everyone remembered and everyone was talking about, he questioned the state of the game. Like that is huge. That's a massive thing to say as a head coach of one of the most successful teams of the last ten years. So. I just believe that he's trying to, to push things away and deflect everything that says that Hawthorne isn't that good of a team this year. And he's struggling to find that, that mix between old and young. They were the oldest team on the weekend and they lost to a Sydney team who was the youngest. What, is it, like, what does that say to, to the AFL and, and to Hawthorne? What do they need to do next? Yeah, it's... I think that is an absolutely brilliant question. And you look at the path that they've gone down. They haven't really gone to the draft since the mid-2000s prior to 2010. And Clark goes like, oh, the draft is so compromised now. You look at other teams that have sort of done a hybrid version while where they've kept high draft picks and still added in key recruitment plays. Collingwood's a club that comes to mind. Richmond's another club that comes to mind. Arguably, two of the better sides in the competition at the moment, and they've just gone in. They've brought in Jaeger O'Meara. They've brought in Tom Scully. They've brought in Jonathan Patton. They've brought in Chad Wingard. You need other players as well. I, I don't think they've got that balance between draft and um, free agency. Right? I 100% agree that you can't just bottom out and go to the draft anymore. You saw. With Carlton, there was a rebuild of a rebuild. And I think you could say, with going back a little bit further, with Melbourne, it was a rebuild of a rebuild of a rebuild and potentially of another rebuild as well to fix that um, drafting issues. Clark has got a point, but he hasn't got the balance between free agency and the draft right. Yeah, I think you you hit the nail on the head there. He's gone too heavy on, on the free agency market, though it is good. 
you still do need to get those young players from the draft. You want to, you want to develop them, even getting them at a young age after they've been in another club for a couple of years. But you don't want to bring them in at like 26 or 27 because then you have to teach them a whole new thing. If you bring them in after yeah. two, or, two or three years, you could still mould them into the player that you want them to be. So I think that's, so that's, I, that's I, perfect. I agree with you that he's deflecting uh, in his press conferences, but I might be looking at it too much. I feel like he's trying to, a bit like Mick Malthouse did in his final year at Carlton, um, dictate the narrative with his opportunities in the media, whether that's to push Hawthorne to sign him on for another, for, for a rebuild phase or for him to say, either keep me and I'm going to speak up about all these issues and then Hawthorne will go, do we want to have a coach, regardless that he's one of the greatest coaches in the history of the football club, do we want to keep him or do we want to go down another direction where we're not going to have a coach in the headlines for potentially the wrong reasons every week? Yeah, it's... It's a difficult decision coming up for Hawthorne, I think. I don't, I don't know if that's Clarko's thinking, but I just feel like he's deflecting a lot more vocally than what a normal deflection would be. I think there's more to his deflections than just Hawthorne's bad performances. Yeah, I can certainly, I can certainly see that. But yeah, I think we're both in agreement that he's trying to, to, to push things away from himself and make other people make decisions around him, really. Like... They're forcing, yeah. He's forcing Hawthorne's hand. He's forcing media's hand and AFL's hand and whatnot. So he's, he, You saw him force the hand with the AFL earlier in the year. I know Steve Hawking has since come out to No, no, Clarko had nothing to do with it. I still don't buy it, given that the, the timeline of how that all unfolded, it seems a little bit suspicious to me. And the other question that whenever you have this chat is... Hawthorne have probably already got their next coach as their assistants in Sam Mitchell. Are they? Will Jeff Kennett and some people at Hawthorne already be to start to think about the succession planning with Sam Mitchell? I know Kennett said we will make a mutually agreed decision with Clarko whenever that time is. But is is Clarko forcing that to come, that to either be brought forward or to be pushed back? is the question I want, want answered, but we're not going to get an answer on that. I know that, you know that, but that's what I want an answer on. We sort of spoke about it briefly in the intro, but the 33 days, 33 games in 20 days is starting. It's going to be really interesting. You've already seen Richmond admit that they will manage Trent Cotchin through this. We've already seen Melbourne say he will be managed and rested for the uh, first game in this period against Port Adelaide. What do you think about uh, resting players in this situation, Jake? I've, I've heard a lot of clubs speak about this and all the players say, yeah, yeah, now we'll be fine, we'll be fine. But I think, I think everyone will find that players, uh, uh, the players will rest in this, in this three-week period. There's not a lot of players that can go four days, four, five days, four days and play four games. Like you just don't see that in in AFL these days. There's there's schedules, there's routines that they need to do, and they're not gonna they're not gonna go through that if they're playing these games in such tight periods. So I think we'll find that a lot of players will rest, 
maybe they'll rest for one of the four games, but they you'll find that even the star players, I think, will take at least a week off in the next four in the I, next in this frenzy. I'm of the belief that um, let's just use Melbourne Port Adelaide as an example. Port Adelaide, I think, played on Saturday and Melbourne played on the Sunday. I don't think the the four or five day breaks that those teams will be a problem this week. I think in the third and particularly the fourth game of this block that each team has played, that's where you're going to see the effect of this compressed season is. I don't think this break is going to be the issue. I think it'll be the next and probably even the break after that. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think this is a really good period of the season because teams are playing four games in this little period. And if you can win three or four out of these four games, I reckon that proves, proves who's going to go far in this season. Tight period of games, working together. I think this little period will define which teams are really good, which teams are, are mediocre, and which teams uh, we're not going to see in the finals at all. And so, I also think this is also going to be Adelaide's best chance to win a game. Will a side go, oh, we're playing Adelaide. They've been rubbish all year. Let's rest a couple of maybe rest one or two players more than what we normally would in this situation and then see, could Adelaide pull off a couple of surprise wins here? Yeah, it's funny, it's funny you say that because I, I think about that on the other end. I think teams be like, oh, we're playing Adelaide. We can't lose to these guys. Well, so they, they might no. cop really good teams as well the other way around. So it could happen either way. You never know. Or could it also happen that you're going, we're playing a top team, let's rest everyone and accept that we're going to lose it. We probably would have lost it if we had a full strength side, but let's just accept it. Like it, There's all these risks and balances that I'm sure uh, many people in the team will do. I know people might say that that's tanking, but who knows? Yeah, it's... It's going to be quite interesting, I think. Yeah, it's. I was listening on the radio the other day. I can't remember who to, but it was like, is it going to be a bit like the Big Bash where you say on Thursday, oh, did you watch the game on Monday night? And you say, I can't even remember who played in Monday night. Like, how is this going to fit into the footy culture? Because if you ask me, Matt, what games of footy you watched on Saturday, I could tell you every single game. But if you ask me during the Big Bash season, oh, who played on Monday night? I don't know. It'll be interesting. <laughs> yeah, no, I totally get that. But you are wanting, and you've, you've spoken to me about this all week, um, and now you can speak to everyone on the podcast about the Brisbane Broncos. Yeah, so another week, another, another segment of the under-pressure teams of the week. So this week, my team is, as Matt said, the Brisbane Broncos and it won't be any surprise to NRL fans that I've brought up the Brisbane Broncos here because they are definitely struggling and have, for the most part, of the season. At the, at the moment, they're currently sitting in second-last position with a record of three and eight. Uh, in the past couple of past couple of weeks, they've just been they've just been very poor and against poor opposition as well. The likes of the Warriors and the Titans losing to both of them in convincing fashion as well. So that's really not what you want to see. And then a couple of weeks ago, producing a goose egg, which is no points a couple of weeks ago against the West Tigers losing 48 to nil. So the past past month hasn't been great 
for the Brisbane Broncos, but not to mention all the stuff on the field. Uh, there's been a couple couple of things off the field that hasn't haven't been too much better for them. Uh, with front rower David Fafida announcing that he'll be moving down the road to the Gold Coast Titans next season on a mammoth deal, so that hasn't helped in losing one of your one of your star players in such a poor squad and losing him to virtually your little brother next season. So it's going to be very difficult for them this season and they've still got to finish off this current season as well. And it doesn't get much easier this week. The Broncos are facing uh, the seventh place Cronulla Sharks coming off a, a very impressive win last weekend. The Broncos did have themselves a tough game, a tough week last week, going down to the storm very convincingly in the end. But I watched this game really closely and the first half was really, they played, they played it really well and they were, they were put, putting it up to the Storm and the Storm just had a bit too much class in the end, went, went away with it in the second half. But that first half looked really good. So hopefully if they can bring that type of fire against the Sharks this weekend, who knows, they could, they could get a nice, they could get a close win for sure. And I think it's there, they can do it. Um, their coach, Anthony Seabold, has been making changes left, right and centre just to try and fix anything up. And we've seen some things and we saw some things against the Storm. So hopefully he sticks with those plans last week and I think those are, those are the ones to go ahead. I heard that Darius Boyd is actually going to make his way to the fullback position this week after previously being a winger and a centre. He's going to make, make his way back into that number one jersey at fullback, which could be different. He has played there before, but a, a long time ago now. And positive news, they'll get back uh, Jake Turpin and Isaac Luke this weekend for their clash against the Sharks. So that'll be good for them. A um, little bit of a little bit of a side note: it was f- during the week there was a bit of, a bit of an article that said that Seabold said after after hearing about the news of David Fafita leaving that he wouldn't rule out poaching uh, Cameron Smith from the uh, Melbourne Storm next year, which is a bit. Which is a bit funny. His contract's obviously up next year, the 37-year-old. As a youngster, I do know he wanted to play for the Broncos, so you never know. I don't know if either team really believes or expects Cameron Smith to leave. He's got he's probably got all his family down here, and I'm sure Melbourne, if he were to retire, would offer him a coaching job straight away. If not, he might play again next year. Who knows? He's it's a bit like Benjamin Button keeps getting better, but I think they they both expect him to stay. But it would be would be would be funny if uh, they did offer him a deal or an unrefusable deal, but I'm sure he would stay as he is Cameron Smith, the greatest rugby league player of all time. Who wouldn't want him? So hopefully this weekend the the Broncos can can prove me wrong and no longer be under pressure. Otherwise, I might be mentioning them in a few weeks' time in this same segment. So we'll see. Hopefully they go well. And that's the end of the under pressure teams of the week for this week. I'm going to hand over to Matt where he's going to talk a bit about some Formula One news that he's very excited about. Yes, Jake, I am. I thought I'd just, given that we've done the the first block of races and had the week off, I thought I would just remind everyone that uh, Lewis Hamilton has won two of the first three races with his teammate, Valtteri Bottas, winning the other race. And I think what the scary thing here is, you've, they've raced in Austria, at the Red Bull Ring and in Hungary at the Hungaro Ring. 
these tracks are polar opposite tracks. One is high speed, long straights, and the other is a lot of corners, requires a lot of downforce. Mercedes dominated both tracks, which I know we're only three races in, looks like it means uh, Mercedes will run away with another championship. Brilliant for them, congratulations to them. They've deserved it, they've earned it. They've probably been, along with Lewis Hamilton, the best performing team of this of the 2010 to 2019 decade. And Lewis Hamilton's probably been the best athlete in that time. And when you think that Mercedes entered the sport in 2010 and have dominated and been arguably the best in any sport, the best team in the world, that is a remarkable achievement. But that's just a slight sidetrack. Um, so Hamilton leads the championship with 63 points, followed by Bottas on 58, Verstappen on 33, Lando, the last lap warrior, Norris on 26 points, and then Albon, 22. You've then got Leclerc down in seventh place in the championship on 18 points, and his teammate, the four-time world champion, Sebastian Vettel in 10th on nine points. So we're going to Silverstone. Formula One is going home to the British Grand Prix. And this is one of the sporting events of the year. I've been privileged enough to attend a race before. I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. But this is a race that it's, it's one of those few events where this year, Things are going to look horrible with no crowds. You've got Britain, the sports, the driver that will most likely be the equal most successful driver as far as drivers' championships at the end of this year, racing at his home track with no fans. At this track, Lewis really engages with his fans, and it's going to be something that's going to be missed. And you will remember those scenes a few a few years ago when he was sort of crowd surfing the crowd on the pit straight after the podium where you had Kimi Raikkonen and Valtteri Bottas who both aren't friendly with each other sitting in the press conference for about 30 minutes with the chair in between them empty waiting for Lewis Hamilton to arrive. As I said a minute ago, I was going to mention that I was, I've been to this event and it's... In an AFL sense, the only thing that I can think of would be the British Grand Prix without fans will be a bit like the Grand Final without fans and Anzac Day without fans. It is just going to be that eerie feeling. And when I went there, I, being an Australian, love Daniel Ricciardo. He's my number one driver. But um, he started 19th on the grid and finished 6th, no, 5th. So I saw a lot of Daniel Ricciardo overtakes in front of me uh, with three actually on the corner that I was sitting on. So I was really happy. So I feel like I got the best of both worlds because I got to see Lewis Hamilton win at home. And that is probably the best sporting experience I've experienced in my life. And it was incredible. The fans were crazy. Um, I remember being on the pit straight after the, the race and just literally been a sardine, like a sardine in a can of sardines, shoulder to shoulder with the crowd. They were happy. It was party atmosphere. I then walked a few corners of the iconic track that used to be a World War II airfield. 
and then explored the wonderful precinct. It is a tremendous event. I strongly encourage you to go if you ever have the opportunity. I loved it. It was also improved by the fact a few days earlier, F1 was on the streets of London doing donuts with all the drivers, except for Lewis Hamilton, uh, funnily enough, um, where he was actually booed for not attending this event and Sebastian Vettel was cheered. Go to the Grand Prix on the weekend, exactly opposite reaction. But it was magical. Just the F1 culture in Britain is huge. To not have crowds there, it's actually going to be hard to watch, but I can't wait to watch it. And not only do we have the British Grand Prix this weekend at Silverstone, but next week we've got Formula One's 70th anniversary Grand Prix at Silverstone next week. Silverstone, great track, a lot of fast corners, some very famous ones in the context of, and straights in the context of um, racing. You've got Maggots, Beckett, you've got Club, you've got the Wellington Straight, you've got the Hangar Straight. There's just, they're just a couple of the corner names that are iconic with motorsport. But just a couple of other Formula One news. Ferrari's president um, in the last uh, couple of days has pretty much written off 2020 and 2021, given that these cars carry over to next year is a reduced thing. Ferrari have already put all their eggs in 2022, which I actually think is a smart move. I have no problem with that, but it's a pretty startling announcement for Ferrari to make to say, oh, we've sort of given up for this year and next year. You wouldn't be happy if you were Carlos Sainz who was going to the team next year, given that he's probably already at a team that'll beat them in McLaren. But the other big news of the week is there are three more tracks added to the calendar at the end of the year. All of these are in Europe, continuing with Germany's Nürburgring, where we haven't raced there since 2013. Um, for all of our Australian um, supporters, this is where Mark Webber won his first race in 2009. Then we go to Portugal, where we go to a Portugal where we haven't been for a while at a new track called Portimao. It's been around for a while, but we've just never raced Formula One cars there. The GP2s, which are now called F2s, raced there a while ago, and it's a really good track. Similar to Catalonia, um, the Spanish Grand Prix, but it's just that there's a very similar track design. If you look at the track map for the naked eye, they look similar, but there are some startling differences, including the bigger straight, so it'll be easier as far as, as far as width and length is concerned. But also, you don't have that stupid chicane in the final sector, which minimises the chances of overtaking. I think that is going to be an absolute banger of a race. I think so will the Nürburgring. Some great overtaking opportunities into turn one, and particularly the chicane in the third sector, but maybe that hairpin as well in the second sector will also be good as well. Just for those who don't know, this is the GP circuit. But the one I think everyone's excited to see is a return of Imola. Another race in Italy. It's pretty funny to think that there are finally three races in one season in Italy and Ferrari are rubbish. I thought that was a little bit funny. Um, but Imola, it's a track that means a lot to Formula One um, for a number of reasons. It's a very technical track, but above all else, it's actually probably had the saddest weekend in the history of Formula One in 1994, where Roland Ratzenberger and 
the legendary Anton Senna both lost their lives on that weekend. Um, Anton Senna nearly didn't race that weekend because he was so distraught about Roland Ratzenberger's um, passing the day before he almost pulled out of the race. And there's so much history and heritage at this track. A lot of the drivers have actually, are really looking forward to racing there and honouring the memory of those drivers. Interesting for that, uh, Formula One will be doing a two-day race weekend there, opposed to the normal three-day racing weekend. So there'll be no Friday practice. We're expecting to be additional practice sessions on the Saturday, but that's not yet been confirmed. The other rumour circling is in the next um, block of the fixture or schedule coming out is there's likely to be a Vietnamese Grand Prix, maybe two, potentially a Chinese Grand Prix, but also a return to the Malaysian Grand Prix at Sepang. Superb circuit. Unfortunately, the Malaysian, uh, the Sepang circuit decided Formula One was too expensive for them. They didn't get enough return from their dollar and they decided to cut it. But given the change in circumstances, they're thinking about hosting the race there. Um, Daniel Ricciardo's won there. Mark Webber should have won there if uh, Sebastian Vettel understood the do not overtake team order. And then it's expected that um, the Formula One season will finish in Bahrain and Abu Dhabi. So that's sort of my very special Formula One report. I thought I'd give a little bit of an insight into the British Grand Prix because it is a hugely special event. Yeah, no, yeah, definitely, definitely love, love hearing about all this this new Formula One stuff as I'm very, I'm very used, I'm very new to it as well. And I'm sure some of our listeners yeah. are very, very new to the world of Formula One. And I hope you're getting a lot, a lot out of it. I was going to ask, what, what are you thinking about your tips for this weekend? Who's going to take out the race? Um, uh, Lewis, um, I know that might seem a very safe bet, but there's there's that something special about Lewis at Silverstone. I hope it, the only thing, reason why he won't there's two reasons why he won't win: mechanical reason slash crash, and if he just can't find that magic without the crowd, I think he'll win it. His only real threat, in my opinion, is Bottas, and if Red Bull can figure out the issues with their car. Maybe Verstappen, but I think this is uh, going to be a year where Lewis Hamilton becomes a seven-time world champion to join the likes of Michael Schumacher, which is huge. He's on track to pass him on wins this year, which will be a fabulous achievement. It's going to be. It's. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to. Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I don't normally watch Friday practice. I think I've watched every practice session so far this year. Cannot wait for Silverstone. I love it. It was a bucket list sporting event on my to-do bucket list. Loved it. Strongly recommend it. You get the heart and soul of Formula One. I'd one day love to go to an Italian Grand Prix, ideally at Monza, to get the the romantic side of Formula One, the passion, the flair, the flamboyancy, which you would get in an Italian Grand Prix, and I would hope to see a Ferrari win then. But... There's just the history the, of a World War II airfield. It, it's, it's a fabulous thing and it, it felt special. And it, looking back at it now, it feels even more special. Fun fact, I actually boarded the plane straight after that race to Switzerland. Half the plane was Formula One fans and half the plane was uh, tennis fans who had all flown over to see uh, Roger Federer win another Wimbledon final. 
So it was a very interesting plane ride to Switzerland where you had this, um, the tennis fans happy because uh, another major to the, the Fed Express and a lot of Formula One fans that were transferring between the two countries. But that just about does it for us today, I believe, Jake. Yeah, no, that's it. Should be a very exciting weekend on on the Sunday. Obviously, that's when the race will be. So I'm sure Matt will be tuning in very heavily to watch that race, and maybe some of you guys will tune into it as well. I know, I know, I'll tune into a little bit of it too. But yeah, as Matt said, that that is all we have time for on the Under Pressure podcast. Just remember to follow all our social medias. I know you know what they all are, and you know that we're on on Spotify now as well as Apple Podcasts and the Podbean app. Thanks for tuning in and we'll see you on the next.